widow and her children three at Park Ridge, Illinois. Then came the stranger to her home and told her of his love. To meet a fate so horrible, no one on earth will know. A foul crime was committed there that shocked the depths of hell. Harry has now recanted his confession, claiming it was made under duress. He was beaten and kept awake. He states that he confessed because all he wanted to do was sleep. However, with the amount of evidence against him, he would still end up in front of a jury. The garage where he took the lives of five still had a number of visitors, some of who were souvenir hunters. They took doors, windows, as well as the dirt the victims were buried underneath. Police didn't attempt to stop them. They were finished with the property. In fact, it was returned to the care of Luella Powers. But Luella didn't want anything to do with the property. Who would, after such a tragedy, occurred there? But to the surprise of Luella, someone did want it. On September the 1st, 1931, with the consent of Police Chief C.A. Duckworth, Luella Powers rented out the garage and surrounding property to Cecil B. Kester. But what Luella didn't know was that Cecil had a plan. He began building a fence around the property, and by 4am on September the 2nd, it was completed. Kester started charging admission to those who wanted to see the garage up close. He charged 25 cents for adults and 15 cents for children. The Legion protested the so-called horror exhibit, The townspeople were horrified that someone would want to make a profit from the terrible crime. So in the early hours of September the 5th, a group of vigilantes called Night Riders made their way to the sideshow attraction. Wearing handkerchiefs for masks, they tore down the fence that was built the night before. When they were finished, they piled the boards in a nearby field and set it ablaze. A message to the owner that they didn't want this in their town. But apparently, the message wasn't received as Cecil rebuilt the fence. Residents tried to get the police to stop the sale of tickets. But police couldn't do anything, since Kester wasn't doing anything illegal. By September the 14th, they had enough of waiting for someone to do something and took matters into their own hands yet again. A group of 300 rushed to the site of the exhibit. With tools and hands, they ripped up the six-foot metal fence, chanced out two armed guards, and burned down their sleeping quarters. When they were done, they left a note. To whom it may concern, let this be a warning that this fence not to be built again. Good citizens of Harrison County. Cecil never attempted to build another fence, More than 5,000 paid for entry during the time it was opened. It seemed to quiet down some in Harrison County. Harry Powers, in prison awaiting trial, the murder exhibit closed. 
Then police discovered the possibility of a sixth murder victim in a black book of names and addresses. There was another name beside Asta Iker and Dorothy Lemp that was familiar to them. Stamatos Sfikas, 42-year-old Greek immigrant that had been missing since June. He owned a shoeshine store in Clarksburg, but it's a small town. Surely they knew each other to some degree. But here's the thing that made police suspicious. Harry Powers was the last person to see Stamatos before he disappeared. Powers admitted they were close friends, and he saw him the day he disappeared, but he denied any knowledge of the disappearance. Police didn't rule out that Powers had something to do with it. On the day that Stamatos disappeared, he had with him two $100 Liberty Bonds and $30 in cash. Powers could never provide a proper alibi for the day in question. At this point in time, Stamatos' disappearance went to the back burner. It seemed more victims were coming out of the woodwork. A woman we briefly mentioned in the first episode, Ali Province, wrote to the police department after she read about Harry in the papers and saw his photo. After a brief correspondence with Powers, with whom I knew as Harry Gildor, he visited St. Louis in the late fall of 1924 and remained in the city for three or four days. Our friendship developed and he promised to pay me another visit, which he did early in November of the same year. On the occasion of the second visit, we agreed to marry. The ceremony was to have been performed Thanksgiving Day. Without my knowing it at the time, he took a deed to the farm, which it later learned he sold for $1,500. This was an excerpt from the letter Ali wrote, which just added more fuel to the fire that was Harry Power's matrimonial scam, a Casanova he tried to be, but another literary character is what he turned into. She then, with a trembling hand, put the key into the lock and the door flew open. As the window shutters were closed, she at first could see nothing, but in the short time she saw that the floor was covered with clotted blood on which the bodies of several dead women were lying. These were all the wives who Bluebeard had married and killed one after another. At this sight, she was ready to sink with fear, and the key of the closet door which she held in her hand fell to the floor. This was an excerpt from The Tale of Bluebeard, written in 1697 by Charles Perrault. Harry Powers admitted that he idolized the character Perrault wrote about. It was the tale of a man who married and murdered his wives. He'd give his new bride the keys to the castle with only one rule. There was one room that must never be opened, and if so, she would be severely punished. His last bride managed to get away just before Bluebeard was killed by her brothers. While Powers wouldn't be killed by the family of the women he murdered, he would face justice as did his idol. On November 11th, just as Harry Powers was indicted for the murders of Dorothy, Asta, Greta, Annabelle, and Harry, a grisly discovery was made. Two men who were hunting in the hills near Clarksburg found the skeletal remains of Stamatos Savikas. He had been shot in the head and the gun laid a few feet away. When police went to question Harry about it, he was interested in what they had to say. However, Harry never confessed to the murder. 
Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hours upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Quote by William Shakespeare. As the house lights were raised, a scene came into view. You could see lines of paper mache trees and the backdrop of a small town street. A desk sat in front of the church. This sounds like the beginning of a play, doesn't it? Under normal circumstances, the stage of the Moore Opera House in Harrison County would be nothing but plays. However, on December the 7th, 1931, with 1,200 people from across West Virginia in attendance, was the real-life trial of Harry Powers. The mask of tragedy looking down at the lawyers, the judge and Harry himself, as the judge was selected. Harry could be seen whispering to his attorney to ask for a change of venue. He believed he wouldn't be given a fair trial in front of the county that threatened to hang him. This was denied by the judge multiple times, and the jury was properly vetted to make sure he would be given a true and fair trial. Harry was walked in by state troopers in handcuffs. He turned and looked around the room, full of faces staring back at him. Powers showed no emotion, not even when his lawyer said, some people are saying hanging's too good for him. Prosecution told the judge and jury that Harry planned to kill this woman. He's referring to Miss Lemke, deliberately and premeditatively, and did kill her for profit. He demanded Harry be hung for his crimes. Powers was allowed to take the stand. Prosecutors asked him what he was looking to gain from talking to all of these women. I had a lot of matrimonial trouble. Charlie Rogers suggested that I try to find a new wife and get out of my trouble. I jumped at his suggestion. He cried when he told the jury how he first met Miss Lemke through Charlie Rogers. He went to visit her and thought they were getting along well. But Harry said that one night when he walked to her room, he saw her reading a letter from another man. He recognized the photo as Cecil Johnson. The last time I saw her was at the restaurant, sitting with him. Whether or not the jury believed his testimony is unknown at this time, except one juror showed his true feelings. As Harry returned to his seat, an older farmer, with a look of disgust, leaned forward and spat into Spittoon, as if he was telling Powers how he really felt about him. Next on the stand was the medical examiner as he discussed the murder of Mrs. Lemp in detail. A faint smile could be seen on Harry's face, as though he was reliving that night. The trial lasted for four days, and only after an hour and 50 minutes, the jury came back with their verdict. We, the members of the jury, find the defendant, Harry F. Powers, alias Cornelius O. Pearson, guilty of first-degree murder as charged in the first indictment. The crowd of 1,200 people erupted into cheers as Harry Powers was taken away to receive his sentencing. Harry Powers would be hung by his neck until death. He tried to appeal his sentence but was denied. Death was coming for him and he knew it. He was sentenced to die on March 18th, 1932 at 9 p.m. 
Before he was taken to the gallows, he received one final letter from his wife. She was bedridden, sick, and unable to cope with what her husband had done. May you have a home in heaven where there is no sorrow, and some sweet day I will come to see you, dear, and live forever with you. The black hooded cloth was slipped over his head, the noose tightened around his neck. At 9 p.m. the lever was pulled. The door dropped open, as did Harry Powers to his death. Gentlemen, Mr. Powers is dead. He died at 9.11 p.m. When they came to clean out his cell, they found a letter from Harry. To warden, in case of my death, consider this yours. Otherwise, please return. The letter read, This is to certify that I have given to my medical advisor a true and full written account of my life and that I have described all my deeds, whether good or bad, in full and that they are true as described. At no time during the commitment on any of my deeds have I felt regret or remorse. On the other hand, I have had a feeling of well-being. I know that I am not legally insane, but I know that I am not normal. Usually I am kind and affectionate, but at times I have an overpowering urge. At these times, I have neither fear nor sympathy. I am not this way because I want to be. I must have been born this way. I have told the truth. Harry F. Powers. Powers wrote a full confession, over 50,000 words, of his crimes. He requested that it be sold to the highest bidder in order to pay for the trial and all costs of the investigation. I do not fear death as long as I do not commit self-destruction. Those who gloat in the satisfaction that death means punishment for me are merely deluding themselves. Harry Powers The End A widow and her children three At Park Ridge, Illinois Was happy and contented with Two daughters and her boy And all was well until one day A letter to her came Which said she would be wealthy She'd only change her name Then came the stranger to her home And told her of his love and promised her that life would be like heaven up above. This winsome stranger she believed, and with him then did go to meet a fate so horrible no one on earth will know. Mid hills of West Virginia fair, near village quiet dell. A foul crime was committed there, that shocked the depths of hell. Upon this scene of 
sight and sound with gallows in the upper part and prisons underground. The prison poor without a door, devoid of air and light, with deadly gas jets on the wall, presents a gruesome sight. The blood stain on the prison floor, the graveyard just outside. When taken all together tells just how the victim died. This is a solemn warning then to all the ladies fair. Do not confide in strangers that you meet from everywhere. A moral lesson this should teach, for one can never tell. Lest you be lured unto your doom, like those at Wyatt's What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.